Hi everyone and welcome back to Inside Success. In this episode, I've been very lucky to be joined by international DJ, producer and artist Scott Gray. I was lucky enough to spend some time with Scott whilst I was out in Ibiza and we got to talk through his career. He started a career back in England for over 20 years as a recruiter, which I don't think many people knew about before taking that plunge and doing that dream move of going to Ibiza, where he still remains today, 13 years on. By Scott Gray. Hi, Scott. Hello, how are we doing? Who is one part of Melon Bomb. Correct. Which is a DJ collective based in Ibiza. Yep. And plays and tours globally. <laughs> yeah. Is that a good way of putting it? Uh, yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> so, how do I know yourself, Scott? Um, by random circumstances, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, I've known about you from conversation with uh, colleagues within the re- recruitment industry for a very long time. Oh, really? I knew about Daryl. You yeah. knew about Daryl? Yeah. And obviously, we've worked with uh, and, Rod, yeah. and Rod and Luke yeah, of course, yeah. and a few of the other faces. Yeah. Um, but obviously, when they're talking about you, I didn't put two and two together that obviously your, your starting life was in recruitment. Mm. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, yeah. So today we're recording, if you're only listening to this on uh, the podcast rather than seeing this on YouTube, is uh, we are sitting in the beautiful island of Ibiza. Uh, in, my, in my neighbourhood, actually, in Santillaria. Santillaria. Yeah. Uh, so we're only literally five minutes away from me, where you live. That's right, yeah. Uh, and we've been for a very long time. But we'll get into that into a little while. Okay, great. So the podcast itself is about discussing and talking about long-term success the twists and turns, and from your point of view, the complete change and of mm. lifestyle and diversity yeah. of your world. Mm. Uh, obviously, one of my big passions is music, mm-hmm. so opportunity to come to Ibiza to do a podcast about an ex-recruiter who decided to up sticks yeah. and change his whole lifestyle mm. to Ibiza kind of uh, ticks every box under the sun for me. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate your time today. Cool. So, Small thing we do prior to getting into it, we do a quick get to know your guest. Okay. Some quick fire questions. Great. Very random stuff half the time. So I'll start. What was your favourite TV show as a kid? A team. And why? Mr. T. Van. Guns. <laughs> Problem solving. I don't know, I just loved it till I was a kid. And did you want to be Mr. T? <laughs> I wanted to be probably face actually. He was oh no, Murdoch was pretty cool, wasn't he? I wouldn't I wanted to be face. You wanted to be face? Yeah. He got all the girls, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, you're right, he did get all the girls. Yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah. Favourite computer game? Ooh, as a kid. Raid Over Moscow, Commodore 64. I've never known that one. Nah, I mean, you're, you're younger than me. That was a game. No, but was a Commodore 64 game. Commodore 64 game, yeah, Raid Over Moscow, yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, me and my mate used to play. It would take about half hour to upload it. You know, the noises on the little cassette machine. Oh, that's one of your tracks. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my tracks. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, 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 that was it. So Commodore 64, man. Yeah, but, but I never had one. My, mate, my best mate had one, Phil. So I used to go around his house and play it. Yeah. They were a big old piece of unit, weren't they? They were, mate, yeah. Big, yeah, I remember those, yeah. Fantasy dinner guest and why? Fantasy dinner guest and why? Nelson Mandela. It just, he's, just, he's just inspirational, isn't he? He's, just, he's a god, isn't he, really? Okay, that's a good answer. Mm. And then we've got a couple of would you rather. So would you rather be forced to sing along or dance to every single song you hear? Dance. Dance. Yeah, I can't sing for Toffee. Got a few moves though. Got a few moves? For a few shapes, mate, I tell you, it has been known. I've, uh, in my early days, I was a body body You're popping. Body popper, yeah, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. how you Back knew. in the early 80s, yeah. Wow. Or mid okay. 80s. Mid 80s, wasn't it, really? Mid 80s. Mm. 
So I was born in 81, if I okay. want to make you feel... Yeah, don't you make me feel old. Make you feel old. <laughs> Do you have a guilty pleasure song? Yeah, probably. I have loads of guilty pleasure songs. Funny enough, we were talking about Elton John earlier on, weren't we? And um, I love um, Benny and the Jets. But that's not really a guilty pleasure, because that's a good song. But yeah. Benny and the Jets, Elton John. What a song that is. Dun, 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 Come on. You dun. must have a cheeky girls in there somewhere. No, cheeky girls. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll go with that then. Yeah, yeah. If there was a movie made about yourself, yeah. who would play you and why? <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> why? Come on, you've got to give us a reason. Just, why would Whoopi Goldberg uh, play you? I'm just talking shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just try to focus on the most, like, you know, non-white female person that I could think of as Whoopi Goldberg. So. You'd be with, Okay, I'm that's just, fine. Just, I'm just trying to be out there. Who would play me? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> and a favourite quote? Favourite quote? Oh, yeah, I think it was, again, we spoke about it earlier. I don't know if it was Beyonce that said it, but someone said something along the lines of, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, and I love that. It's a great line, right? It's a great line. It's just so true. Because we're obviously talking slightly differently to probably some of the other people I've interviewed who've got full businesses and stuff like that, what I really want to get down to is, before Ibiza, yep. before what you do now, which we'll get into a, a bit later on, yeah. what did you do work-wise before Ibiza? Recruitment for 20 years. And what, was that your first job? It wasn't my first job. It was my first proper job. I um, studied art at college, did a foundation course at St Albans, wanted to get onto a degree course, was a bit lazy. I'd got onto a really good foundation course, but when I got to the foundation course, I, I enjoyed the first half and I loved it, but I didn't work hard enough at it. Didn't get onto the degree course I wanted, got onto an HND course, dropped out, dosed about for about a year. My girlfriend got pregnant at the time, had a kid, had to get a real job. What age was that? Uh, 21. Okay. When he was born. So was, uh, and then, yeah, to get a real job. Um, I saw a telesales job advertised, I did a couple of dodgy telesales jobs. And then with that bit of experience, saw another job advertised in recruitment and walked in and, and got a job. And, and that, was, that was for one company. I was there for 10 years and then went to Maine for another 10 years. So before we go into the recruitment piece, mm. I'll ask everyone this. What were you like at school? Uh, daydreamer. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, stare out the window a lot, wouldn't listen to it. I'm very, very talkative, used to piss about a lot. Uh, but I was quite a good student. I was in all the top groups and I passed on my O-levels. Got a couple of A-levels, but I got low grades. But I, but I could have done more, but I was just a bit kind of lazy, really. And was that kind of motivated around the people hanging around with? or just? Yeah, a little bit of that. I was easily distracted. Um, but I wasn't, a, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a trouble. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't into too much. I was as much trouble as a normal teenager gets into, but I wasn't the, the out-and-out bad boy, but I used to... <laughs> Used to get into a few scrapes, yeah. You used to get yeah. in a few scrapes over yeah. a period of time. Yeah, yeah. So did you get basically out of school what you wanted or would you, if you had the opportunity again, work slightly hard? I know it's difficult to say because of what you're doing now, but... Out of, it... out of school, no. I wish I'd have got more out of my time at art college and used that better because I had a golden opportunity there. And I took a graphics course rather than a fine, fine art course and I wish I'd have done fine art. But... Having said all of that, I don't have any regrets because all roads have led to this and I'm very happy where I am now. So Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Okay, so what was interesting for me today was to kind of 
delve into that murky career of recruitment, <laughs> which is obviously my uh, my background and still is currently. Still is, yeah. And still is very murky. Uh, still <laughs> is. So you said 20 years in recruitment. Yeah. That's that's no short period of time. No, no it's not. And just for two companies as well. Um, yeah, I started at the bottom as a consultant, and by the time I left, I was a senior uh, team manager. What was it? What was it? I can't remember, can't remember the title now. Senior. Senior manager. Senior, senior Let, something let's like say, yeah, it's called something senior manager. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So why, so you said you did a couple of dodgy telesales jobs. What was it that allowed you or made you fall into recruitment, let's put it that way? My partner at the time saw a job advertised in a local paper. And that was it? And I had no clue what recruitment even was. I went for the interview. It was a stuffy old office where there was two older guys in there smoking their lungs out. <laughs> um, and it was really quiet. It was, it was, it was in two. 2000, uh, no, it was 2000, it was 1980, uh, where was it? Someone's early 90s, and there had just been a recession on, so there wasn't much work about, so it was pretty quiet at the time. It was just and before things started to wrap up. It was engineering. Okay. Um, yeah, a company called Short Term Engineers. Yeah, it's still um, going now. Is it still going, is it? Yeah. Short Term, so, yeah. Yeah, right, okay, so it was, uh, yeah, started working with them in one of their little regional offices in Boreham Wood. Wow, okay. Yeah. And then 10 years there. 10 years there, yeah. Had a um, successful period. Yeah, and then got um, one of the directors from there left and went to Maine um, and recruited me, and I, and I followed him. And was that still the same markets? Yeah, very similar, yeah. So when I say I ended up working, which, which is the only part of the industry I did like, I, quite, I ended up working, um, doing uh, technical recruitment for uh, London Underground and British Network Rail. Yeah. And it was mostly kind of workers, you know, uh, doing, doing up stations and, and that kind of thing, yeah. And then from that point of view, you suddenly had a, an epiphany, or you had a moment, or what was it that led you to suddenly down tools? Yeah, uh, a few things. First of all, um, I'd split up with the um, mother of my child um, whilst I was uh, coming towards my end of my time at short term, and then came on holiday to Ibiza with a load of my mates. They were all coming over here. Um, I was with Paul Jackson, who was DJing at Pasha at the time. So we all, we all come over with him, and I, I wasn't going to go actually. Um, I got a phone call from my mate saying, "Right, we're in the we're in the uh, travel agent as it was then. We're getting you a ticket. You're because I, I was reluctant. I didn't want to go. I was heartbroken. I was in bits. We, we got you a ticket. And you're coming to Ibiza. I put the phone down on me. It's like shit. So I have to come. And, I have to pay them the money, and, and, and off we went. And then we, you know, obviously people that have been here you know what it's like. It blows your mind. Yeah. Especially if you're into into raving and dance music and, and that kind of thing. Um, and met my wife to be in space. Um, wow. And, and we proposed to her the year after that. She was from Lincoln. I'm, I, I lived just outside London at the time. So we'd commute for a year, then she moved in with me. And so we'd go to Ibiza every single year on holiday. Um, and every year your heart gets heavier and heavier when you leave. You know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we all do. And everybody that lives here has a similar story. And then you just go, why, why, why am I leaving? Why don't we just go there? But that wasn't actually the reason. We kind of started to plot, you know, how could we how can we make it work that we could maybe buy an apartment here we could do it we, we couldn't figure out how we could do it because we felt a bit trapped you know we, we they don't call it that they don't call the rat race or, or that they don't call that the thing the trappings of life for nothing yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. get trapped by your mortgage you know you think if i leave my job i lose my house we won't be able to feed we'll die the goldfish <laughs> will die everything will just will just go life to will shit. stop yeah it does and you and you you know you, you you kind of conditioned to think that and of course it's not the truth um, so we work at the time was getting heavy. Um, I think I was close to a breakdown, if I'm honest. 
Okay. Yeah, it was getting tough. Um, that kind of senior mid-management role, you get it from every angle. Um, and I was getting particularly pushed. I, I was probably pushed out by my manager a bit. Okay. But, and at the time I kind of felt bad about it, but it was the best thing he ever did. So we were on holiday here in 2010, in September, and I woke up in a cold sweat on day two or three. And I just said to Mandy, my wife, I said, that's it, I'm done. I can't, I can't do that job anymore. I'm quitting when I go back. And she was like, whoa, okay, hang on. Uh, we'd had money, but we'd, we'd put it all back into the house and, and had a new kitchen and yeah. just, you know, had the house. As you said, the trappings. Yeah, the trappings, had the house looking nice. So we, there wasn't much left in the bank. So but I, I knew I didn't, I knew I couldn't work anymore. I was just, I was, I was, clo- I was close to a breakdown. I felt like it was, it was doing me. Uh, it was getting the better of me. So, um, so would you say that was purely down to work and outside pressures as well, or...? What was it? It's generally it's a it's a there's normally a source of the final anguish. Was it saying that completely tipped it? Yeah, do you know what? It's 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 a culmination of things. It was we were massively busy. The, the my manager at the time seemed to have it in his head that he could just make us do infinite more work mm. than we were doing before with less people. Okay, and that just took its toll. And no change of processes, no updates of process, nothing to make it easier on you. It was no, just pushed down. It was just just do more, and, okay. uh, and and we were busy. We were a busy department, and we were doing more. And it was just just yeah, it was, it was killing me. It just took you to the edge. Yeah. So cold sweats, Ibiza. Cold sweats. I was in Ibiza. Let's said do to it. Mandy, right? I, I can't go back to work. What should we do? I need to take some time out or whatever. Um, and we had not much money in the bank. And she said, well, we you know, I said, so we should go travelling for a year or something. And she went, why don't we come and do a season here? See how that works out. Um, it's normally the other way around, where it's you pushing the subject, going, right, let's go yeah, to Ibiza. Well, I, well, I mean, it turns out when, you know, she, she kind of said that she'd always, we'd always dreamed of getting here somehow, but we never spoke, we didn't spoke too seriously about it. But then it was just like, oh, right, this is a, poss- this is a, a, a time that, uh, it, it, you know, it just felt right. Yeah. I, ne- I needed to get out of that. I needed a change. And we just decided, you know, we, we figured out that we could rent a house out in yeah. Wormwood. Um, and that would pay for that, and that's the, that's the biggest thing. Um, and then we'd, we'd have enough money to pay for our rent here for a season, and we could, you know, we'll, we'll find a way, we'll find a way. And, so and that's got you to that stage. And that got us that stage. So I, I went back in to work, didn't quit straight away. My boss at the time pulled me to one side and said, you're not right, what's wrong with you? And I was just like, he said, are you thinking about leaving? And I just went like, yes, I am. <laughs> and I just felt the weight lift off my shoulders. I'm like, yes, I'm leaving. Uh, he said, what are you going to do? I said, well, we're going to go and see if we can work in Ibiza for a year. But it's interesting, though, your, your demeanour, as soon as you were back, told them everything they yeah, needed to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they knew I wasn't interested anymore. Yeah, they, they, figured, they figured it out. They, they, they felt the vibe off me. So they take that well? Or they, uh, uh, yeah, they were great. And, and I said, that I don't want to leave straight away because I could do with a few, more, <laughs> few, <laughs> mo- a few months' wages. So they agreed to let me go at, um, in January, the following January. That was September. So I, it, it came out in November. And then I agreed to stay to the end of January. And so I, it's 2011. It was, it was the easiest like couple of months I've ever did, done in my life because the pressure was off. And well, I think I think you find a lot of people obviously coming up to Christmas would like to have those kind of easy yeah. months. Yeah. Because then you can go at least go and say goodbye to properly pe- yeah. people properly yeah. before heading off to. Yeah. So you moved to IB for in the January. Yeah, and so we 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 I bought a van, a white a, a white Vito van. So what, what was those initial thoughts when you came here? What was it? Did you have a, a structure or a plan? No, what were you do we, had, we had a, we had a kind of very very loose plan, and so the the idea was we were gonna. Mandy took a sabbatical from work. Her, yeah. her company, she worked for H and M. She was delivering travel yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, training around the world. She, was okay. quite, she had a quite a good job, 
and obviously I was in recruitment earlier well. So um, she took a sabbatical six months and I just quit my job. Um, and we had three months before we left. And so I, with some money I had, I bought a, a white Vito Mercedes van. Because in my mind, if I bought a van, I could earn with it. I could find a way, you know, you just <laughs> yeah, had this crazy yeah. notion that I could, I could earn with it. Uh, and one of the things I started doing for the three months before I moved to Ibiza was buying old bits of furniture. Because I, I was creative and I was a frustrated creative. The whole time I was in recruitment, I never loved it. I wanted to do something creative. Didn't know what, didn't know how to, to make the change. Trappings, money, all the rest of it. So in that three months, I started buying old furniture and painting it mad colours and putting it on, um, on the, you know, um, what do eBay. You call it? eBay and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Selling. Well, not for lots of money, but I was getting satisfaction out of it. Advertised as a man with a van and I was just moving people's tellies around and so much, anything. I didn't care, I loved it. You know, imagine you go from like a senior high power management job to just like, hey, driving around. There, you know? <laughs> and I was loving life. By smiling and enjoying what you're doing. Smiling, enjoying it, yeah. none of the pressure and knowing that I'm going to go to Ibiza and get there and find a way, you know. And then when we arrived, so, so eventually we packed all our house up into the loft, rented it out for six months um, and, and, and set off in our van. So you drove the van over here? Drove the van over, brought enough stuff to, you know, the sort of things we thought we'd need, including a little stack of records like that. Okay. Um, what I, was I, the records? Uh, mostly electro, hip-hop, jazz funk, soul, rare groove, that kind of stuff, not house. No. And, and, I, and I, I DJ'd for fun as a hobby for years, like since the 90s. Played in a few bars and, you know, I think I played in the aquarium once. Got yeah. into, did one club night in my life. But apart from that, I wasn't, you know, didn't really think I'd... You enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It wasn't going to be a job for me. Yeah, it was just yeah, something yeah. I, I did for fun. So I brought a little stack of records with me just in case. Um, brought the van over. Um, we, ha we knew that for the first couple of weeks, we just kind of took it easy. Went to loads of parties and, you know, just kind of enjoyed... Got out of your system. Got out of your system a little bit. Enjoyed ourselves. Um, and like, like, let's try and find work now. And I, I couldn't find any work. It wasn't, it wasn't coming easily. I'd go around. The, the only people, you know, you think when you come on holiday here and you, you come regularly, oh, we know loads of people. But they're restaurateurs, yeah. and you go to them and you go, I'm here now, and they're like, great. Do you still want to buy some food off? <laughs> yeah, and they just, yeah. and, and you're not worth as much money to them because now you're a local, so you spend less, and it's a weird kind of dynamic. So you have to, you literally have to start from the beginning. And I was told actually by one of the restaurateurs, an Italian guy. Um, um, Gortiero, who runs El Parata in Ibiza uh, um, Town. Still there, is it? He's still there, and he's still there too. And he, wow. and he said to me, um, gave me the best piece of advice. He said, when you come to Ibiza, he said, you're no one. You have to start from scratch. And you have to start from the bottom and work your way up. And, and honestly, I've seen people come and go yeah, that yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. that attitude. And we did. We, we, would have, we would have done anything to stay. We, it was our dream to be here. And we'd let go of our previous lives completely. We rented really small and modestly. Mm -hmm. Like you know, we, the, the place I, I went from having a three-bedroom house in North, just outside North West London, with a with an Argo. I used to cook. I used to yeah. love cooking. And we rented a tiny little place in Playa in Boss in a Figueres, um, with a tiny little stove on it. It didn't even have an oven. It was it was like but we didn't care. We were just me and her together. We're going to make this work somehow. And and at that point, we were only here for six months. Uh, couldn't find any work with a van. Wasn't quite happening, and then I had my first kind of hippie moment, if you like, my first universe moment where you speak to somebody <laughs> or something. And I went to Escobels, okay. and I looked out across the. Um, it's my favourite view. view Can favorite you explain where that is and what it, what it is? So Escobels is southwest of Ibiza. It's one of the most stunning, beautiful views on the island. It's a little church there. It looks out. It's quite high up, um, and it's just it's just beautiful. You need to go and have a look at it. Um, and I sat on the. the because that's where we used to go and like go, how can we get here? How can we? So one day she got, said, she got a job helping out some friends and all they wanted was to hold one of those things up for a, for a, um, 
uh, a bikini shoot, and, okay. she got, and she got a free bikini out of it for, okay. for, for helping out. <laughs> oh, so it's the, uh, the, the, the sun shields. That's it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because when you get here, you just try and make contact. So I'll do anything to just get a job. I don't, yeah, yeah. don't know quite what I want to do yet, but you just, you know, and we had time. We had a couple, we had about four or five weeks to find our feet. So she did that, and I went. I, I, it was getting a little bit tight for me. It was like my third or fourth week. I was thinking, oh, I still haven't got a job yet. And you haven't got a bikini either. I haven't got a bikini. <laughs> um, definitely one. <well, laughs> I might have a bikini. I've got one on now. Oh, yeah. um, it's very nice. And um, there was a game of this. Oh yeah, so I, remember, so I sat, on, sat on the uh, on the edge of the cliff there, looked out, and sort of spoke to like Tanit, who's the god of Ibiza or wherever it was. And I was just like, right, you got me here now. What do you want? What am I supposed to do? You know, because you know I felt that like we'd been pulled here. And um, the next day, I got a phone call from someone saying, oh, I heard you, you know, how to set up DJ equipment. Can you come and help me, like, be a bit of a roadie and help, you know, set stuff up? So for the next two years, I worked with my van, with this guy moving sound systems around and taking speakers around, putting CDJs into DC10 sometimes, or we'd do a wedding, yeah. or like the ki- some kids would hire a villa, we'd, we'd hire them equipment. So CDJs are the digital uh, DJing equipment yeah, that you'll see in most clubs and, yeah. and most bars around the way. Yeah. Obviously, I'll talk technical to you. Yeah. Obviously, not everyone is going to listen to this. <laughs> we'll know what the hell we're talking about. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a small explanation. So, yeah. so your, your van became then pretty much your life again as you expected it to. Yeah, I, I, made, I used the van and it, was, it, it became very, very useful to me. So that then may allowed you obviously to get into places that you were not even close to. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be like in, I remember being in the DJ booth at the DC10 closing party at the end of the season. And like, you know, I used to look up at these people that yeah, would be in there. Yeah. Who, are these, who are these people in the DJ booth? these gods? Think, yeah, like, <laughs> and they were in the DJs, you know, they were in all these like cool looking people. You look at them thinking, oh, I want to be, I want to be you are, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I was in there, like you know, helping them set the stuff up. I remember you know, meeting Seth Troxer for the first time and not knowing, you know, who he was and stuff like this. Great. But that's quite a nice thing I, I feel is when you're there without the kind of oh, it's this person or it's that person, and then it's uh, instead of it being what's the best way to put it, a pleasure to be around it, you feel like you're walking on eggshells. Yeah, yeah, So instead yeah. of it, you just get on with your job. Yeah, totally, yeah. But you just talk to people as they are there rather than, oh, you're such and such yeah. or you're such and such. It makes it a lot more relaxed. Is that the best way of putting it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's two years. Two years of doing that. So I, I, just to give some context, how many years you've been here now? Uh, the, we're in our 13th year now. So that was 2011, 11, 12, 11, 2011. 11 was the first year we came, yeah. So, so and, and the first six months, we just did six months and then went back to a house um, in Borehamwood. And then um, we, we rented it out again for another six. So, we, so I went back for six months. I just used my van for six months. Mainly did, went back to a job. We decided we were going to come back, but this time she had to quit her job because right. she couldn't keep taking six months sabbaticals. So she gave up her job. We came back after. I was a man with a van doing the furniture again uh, for six months, loving life. Helped, helped my friends deliver Christmas trees, did all sorts of stuff but it wasn't recruitment, um, knowing that I was coming back to Ibiza. And when we came back the second time, in our minds, we thought we were going to be able to keep going back for six months. It was hard work, putting the house up, getting it back down again. And when we got to Ibiza the second time, the place we were going to stay in let, was, was no longer available. Okay. We found out about a week before we were leaving. Oh. Shit. So some friends of ours let us stay with them, some Spanish friends of ours. So we stayed. So you had some friends now, that's a positive, right? But yeah, yeah. By, by that time, we'd made loads of friends and acquaintances and stuff. So we stayed with some Spanish guys for, for, um, who, who owned the bar down the road from us for a couple of days, found somewhere, but everywhere we were looking for could only offer us a year's contract. Okay. Not six months. And you wanted, yeah, So we were just like, like, all right, let's do that then. Now or never. Let's do that. And then called up the people that were in our house, look, do you want to stay longer? They said, yep. They rented it out for another seven years or so, or, wow. or five years or so, whatever okay. it was. 
Five years it was. And uh, and we stayed. So that's two years in. Yeah. The, the summers were mad busy. The, the first winter we had here, when we stayed, you know, our first winter was 2012, um, going into 2013, and that was just magical. I loved it. Everybody told us how good the winters were. You know, it's quiet, there's no one around, the sun still shines most days. It's colder, but it's just it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And that's where you kind of make your real contacts, I think. Okay. If you really want to be here and really work, I found that people, because it, it takes, it, it, it said that in Ibiza, if you want to come and make it work, it takes a minimum of three years to really gain everyone's trust and get into the groove of it. And, I, and that's about right. Okay. And if you're in the winters as well, it works even better. Right. Because people see you around, they trust you and... Well, it's because you're not just here for the summer season and yeah. running off again yeah, exactly. when it's not as uh, yeah. heating. I guess as it's quieter, people have more time to sit down, have a conversation, yeah. have a coffee, exactly start, let's get to know you, exactly. what happens there. You so, make your contacts and all that kind of stuff. So, and, did you know. you, so just on that period, so that three years, yeah. were you technically still a recruiter in your head because you're having to use all the skills, the knowledge? So here's the thing, <laughs> and, I, and, and, and I, I, I kind of thought this question might come up. Um, like I said, I did 20 years of recruitment. I never really liked it. I always felt like a square peg in a round hole because I felt like I was a creative. And I'd be in these rooms of engineers looking at and thinking, I've got nothing in common with any of you lot. But I like the money, I like the security um, and all that. But yes, you know, answer your question, when I did come here, what, what I did have on my side was 20 years of professionalism, being on time, being able to sell, being able to get paid. Yeah. You know, all, yeah. Those, all those skills. The pay part's always fun. All, all of that stuff, yeah, you know, you, you, know, you don't. You don't you just you know you know how to chase money you know how to get you know you know what it's like so is it so you, you could price things up you could you just yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. you know you just got your wits about and not, not being someone who's obviously lived abroad is it a different culture and environment of getting paid let's put it that way is it did you, you have much chasing yeah you did and There's a smile on your face while you're saying it if yeah you're not, you yeah can't well see this. <laughs> Ibiza's considered the pirate island of of of, of Spain really uh, probably it's kind of getting less and less like that everything was cash. You know, you're chasing cash all the time, and it's less so now. Everyone's got the invoice now; it's all kind of above board. But it certainly wasn't even like ten years ago when we first came here, twelve years ago. So, what, um, was, so what was your what was your big break then? Obviously, let's fast forward a little bit. So the DJ and the art. Oh yeah. Well, let's go through what you are to okay. get to this present time. So, as I okay. believe it in my head, yeah. Get, tell me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. So before the island, you were none of these things. Yeah. So you're a DJ, yeah. an artist, yeah. poet. Uh, no. Okay, start again. <laughs> DJ, artist, sorry, producer. Yeah, I dabble in production, yeah. Dame's actual as well. And my most favourite one, a vegan. Uh, yeah, I'm a vegan too, yeah. And a vegan as well. And teetotal. And teetotal. Yeah. Have I missed anything? Uh, cheers. Uh, <laughs> as he no. drinks back a glass of vodka. Neat water, yeah. So have I, have I missed anything no. from that journey? No, that's, that, those, are, those things all happened once I got here, yeah. Yeah. So which one happened first, the DJing, the, <laughs> the artist, the or producing, the, or the vegan the part, vegan or not all the teetotaling? Okay, uh, well the DJing and the art were both, you know, I'd, I'd studied art and I kind of did bits and pieces throughout my life, but nothing seriously, um, and I had friends that did all end up as graphic designers, a big swathe of my friends are graphic designers, uh, and artists and whatever, yeah. um, and a couple of DJs. Um, I, I, and DJed for fun kind of since the early 90s. So. But professionally here, um, in 2012, at the end of that year, 
I, um, a friend of mine, and I decided I was going to get some T-shirts made with some art. I, I just because the shop that Manly was working in, where she still works, my wife, we're going to Bali to get T-shirts produced, and okay. I thought oh, I'll make some designs. I did some skulls. I did some skull skull art because that was quite trendy at the time. Yeah. Um, and we got some T-shirts made, and we thought oh let's do a little label for it. And Manly came up with the name Chapter. And that was the idea for the label, and that was because it was a new chapter in our lives. Oh, okay. And, and and we're now doing this, you know. So, okay. so that new chapter in our lives was designed. Was, was gonna gonna design some t-shirts. It's a good name, to be fair. Yeah, well, it's, it's came, a good yeah, name. Yeah, she's clever like that. Um, and so that, that that's where the name chapter came from. Um, and, and and at the same time, I started to do these designs. The t-shirts were getting made, um, and I a friend of mine saw one of the designs. Said, "That's great. Can you blow it up and put it on my wall like my first commissioned art piece?" Wow. And I and I, and I went to do it and. The drawing when I blew it up looked terrible because it was a small drawing. Pixelated. So yeah. yeah, so it, um, I, I then got into computer art quite quickly. Someone showed me a com uh, said you need to get some computer graphics, and when you blow it up, it stays the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I learned that quite quickly. This is all in 2012, going into 2013. Um, and then, um, I was going with this. So that was my first, that was that was me kind of starting art. That was your art part? That winter. That's one I, tick. Yeah, I'd. I'd when I when I was doing the sound systems, I did a couple of weddings as a DJ, and I played in a couple of bars. I played at Sands occasionally for a yeah. for a hamburger. Sometimes they give me fifty euros if I was lucky, um, and I played at one or two other little places. But again, it was just for fun. I had no intention. So was that so? Was the opportunity the wedding? Was that due to being asked to play, or someone dropped out, or how that kind of goes? There's generally a story to why so, you suddenly got put behind the yeah. Decks. So the guy I was working with, I'd started to DJ in my local bar. And the guy, the, the guy I was working with, I invited him along one night, and he said, "Oh, you DJ? Why don't you, you know, why don't we put you forward for one of the weddings that we're doing the sound systems for, so we, we can lump it all in this one kind of package? We'll, we'll rent you a sound system, lighting, and all the rest of it. Oh, well, you can have, and we'll throw a DJ in, and that's that's kind of how it started. So I did a couple of those. I didn't enjoy it, but it was good fun. So was the music wedding? There was nothing obviously of your current genres or your loves. It no, was all... it was all it was it was pop and it was dross. So the cheeky girls was in there somewhere. It might have been. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> Yeah. So you should have a big guilty pleasure somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. in the music you're playing at the time. Yeah, exactly. So you obviously carried on to that. That allowed you opportunities. But my break came, because there's a break. My break came, I was doing a, a, a friend's birthday party, um, who I just played for actually at Cashner this weekend. <coughs> a guy called Hayden, um, and Vaughan was there. Vaughan used to run the funky, funky, club, uh, funky room at um, Pacha, right. also known as El Cielo, El Cielo in Spanish, um, which means heaven. So he used to run that, and he saw me playing at Hayden's birthday party. It was Hayden and Gary, another friend of mine. They were having a joint birthday party in a villa. And I was playing just funk and disco and soul. And he said, oh, he said, yes, good. Do you want to come and play in the, in the funk room at Pasha? Occasionally in cover if Pippi or Willie Graff can't play. And I'm like, yeah, all right, that'd be nice. You know, that was in, I think, 13. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that sounds good. So um, I, I went and did that, yeah, um, the, the following May. And at the same time, another guy called Bob Masters saw me playing up at a place called Hidden in the north of the island. Um, and he said, oh, do you want to come and play at my soul event? Okay, so at that point, I'm like, actually, this is pulling me in now. So that's your three-year piece you were talking about yeah. as well? Yeah, kind of, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, was coming, yeah, it was the beginning of the third year, kind of. Thing. So I said, like, yeah, we should, uh, yeah, perhaps I'll have a look at this DJ and like, maybe there's something in it. So you're still selling your art at that time? So at that point, I just started making T-shirts, just started doing commissions. And so, so I worked for two years with the, with the guy with the sound systems. The third year, after we went our separate ways, I did it on my own with a friend. We bought a system and we did it for a year. But by the end of that year, I, I knew that it wasn't for me. I knew I wanted to pursue, at that point, 
being a DJ and an artist because that, that winter it, it, it came you know I did the ping I got commission for art then yeah, someone else yeah, wanted another yeah. commission so I thought well this is great I'll make more, I'll make more art so but, it allows you to push towards your passion yes exactly so I, then I'm th thinking right these are the things I love are art and music well maybe I can make some money out of it again we were still renting really modestly yeah. our house in England was being paid for so we didn't have to come up with a lot of money do you know what I mean to pay yeah, our rent yeah, and yeah. this was before the rents are what they are now it was like oh, 700 euros or something a month we had to pay and that's, okay. with, all, that's with all your bills so that's all we had to find you know um yeah, so, so uh, where was I going with this? So, art music, Paul Bean, um, did the first gig at Pasha, hated it. Funky room, yeah, I wasn't, I was ill-prepared because I wasn't a professional DJ. I, you know, I now know, after years of doing it, professionally, what the difference is between doing it professionally and... and a hobby. As a hobby. There is a massive difference. It's an art, it's a skill. And, you know, I, I play with some of the best... I play with some of my favourite DJs in the world, the guys I play with Melanbom with who have all been professional DJs all of their careers. Okay. For me, it came later. And I've learned so much off of those guys. So the Men and Bond uh, piece came how much further in? So you've got year four, uh, you're kind of now playing Pasha, you're doing your yes, artwork. Yes, I occasionally play Pasha, doing artwork, selling art prints. Um, and that was kind of still my biggest gig um, as, as Scott Gray. And then in 2014, November... I was at a, um, a, a, a function at a, our a wine shop called Vino and Co, and they had a, they they used to do pop ups where they'd have like invite um, chefs in to do to do um, chef nights and they'd cook for you and stuff and you and they sit down meals in this beautiful wine shop and taste really good wine and the rest of it. Before I was vegan, before I was teetotal. Um, Not that stage, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I'd already met Ben Santiago, Ben and Ben Santiago of, of lovely Laura fame. Yeah, um, and they were starting to do well. I'd not met Paul Reynolds, but I'd met his mum and dad at the wine shop a few times. Obviously. So I knew, I got to know, I was mates with Paul Reynolds' mum and dad before I was mates with him. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then that night, all three of us were there, and because we were a DJ, we kind of gravitated towards each other, sat on the end of a table, had a few beers, and I, that year, just been asked to play Pasha on New Year's Eve. Nice. So it was my first kind of, real kind of... Step up event. Felt like a profile booking, you know, my yeah, first kind yeah. of profile booking. A funky room, but uh, nonetheless. Um, and, I, and I kind of, it gave me the the balls to say to them, oh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm playing at Passion. Um, at that time, Paul was playing in um, Ashwire. He was, he was on the residence at Ashwire. So I said, I've got this really good idea. Um, why don't we get together, you know, after the conversation, let's get yeah. together next week, have a meeting on Tuesday. And they were both like, yeah, okay. So um, uh, the next morning I woke up with a hangover and said to Mandy, I've got a meeting with Paul Reynolds and Ben Santiago and I haven't got a fucking clue what, I, what I'm going to tell them. I don't, I don't know what this great idea is I had. I, didn't have an idea. So and did the recruiter kick in at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was blagging it at that point. <laughs> yes. O overselling. Yeah. Overselling, but <laughs> delivering on this but, one. Well, for delivering. And then you, you know, then you have to f figure it out, don't you? Um, and That's then, exciting, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, ever since I came here, you're kind of living on your wits and trying to sort of duck and dive, which, which I think recruitment definitely teaches you that. It does. It really does. And um, hitting your head against a brick wall. Yeah, head against a brick wall, and yeah, and just keep going and rest of that stuff. Um, so, so the next. Then I had figured, I figured out, within about 10, 15 minutes, I spoke to Manny, Glitterbox had just started that year, and, it, and, and I'd been to it, and it was in Boom at the time, okay. um, before it went to space, and before it went to higher. So uh, Glitterbox, people don't know, is obviously a, uh, a side brand of Defective Records, which obviously at the time was Simon Dunmore. Yes. Uh, and two is obviously retired last yeah. year? Or just no retiring, I was in a farewell tour, he isn't it? sold the company 
Late last year, early yeah. this year, I can't remember. Late last it. year, I think it was. So that's the, that's the brand, it was a side brand yeah. of obviously... Um, and it ended up like really like elevating defectives, to be honest yeah, 100%. with you. 100%, and that's uh, the more the disco... Yeah, so, so what they, they, what they called to it, it, there was a, a... At that point, up until that point, it had gone very, very tech over here, tech house and techno, and it was getting harder and harder and darker and darker. And it needed some light and shade. And so there was a feeling that that soulful stuff that we kind of listened to back in the late 90s, early yeah. 2000s, yeah. There was a desire for it again, and disco kind of started creeping back in again. And the disco kind of, um, what do you call it, or the filtered house you used to get the French stuff. Yeah. That kind of sound started coming back in again. Bob Sinclair, Shapeshifters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then people then started getting a lot. I remember like people like David Morales couldn't get gigs because their music had gone because mm. it just got so techy. Well, all of a sudden, people started to play those old records again, and then started mixing it with funk and soul and disco. So they they were doing that, and and it was slightly commercially side. But I went along and saw Dimitri from Paris and I was like, this is great. I really like what they're doing, but I think we, I'd like to do something similar to that, but a bit more underground. Okay. And that's kind of always been the Melanbomb way, I suppose. That's yeah. certainly how we started. You know, um, so the meeting happened? So the meeting happened. We had a meeting, we had, we, and, and, and the first meeting was in November. And we agreed to... We'd, we, was we, that back we, at the wine bar? Uh, no, <laughs> at Paul's house, actually. We, did, we agreed we'd meet again after Christmas. We'd get Christmas out of the way. We'd get back together. And in the meantime, I'd played at Pike's a friend's wedding in October, at the beginning of October. Sonny, yeah. you know, from, from Pikes, saw me play. said, oh, you're great. You should come and play at our Halloween party. Play at the Halloween party. Got got the, um, so so got in with Pikes, if you like. So did, the answer is, did Sonny dress you up at the time, as he famously <laughs> does? Or was that part of the agreement? I never got dressed up by Sonny, actually. Did yeah. you not? No, I always avoided that one. Sonny. Okay. Don't know how. So Halloween... He used to like going after butch, like big boys, you know what I mean? And like the ones that you'd least expect to be dressed up. He'd, he'd like to turn them around. So a bit like your friend Daryl. Like my friend Daryl, yeah. Alpha males, he used to like. <laughs> <laughs> I think Daryl liked that, actually. I think he's been called Alpha yeah, male yeah, before. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that was Halloween. Halloween so, so, yes, I'm kind of I'm going all over the place here, yeah, sorry. Don't worry, this is Benoni, look at that, it's like <laughs> yeah, If can. it was a straight line, everyone would be here doing yeah, it. Yeah, true. You can edit all this out, by the way. Um, and so, so, I, so, so I, when I went to the second meeting, before, I, before the second meeting that had happened, I spoke to Pike and said, and people, my friends of mine were doing nights there, you could do a night there. And they were opening the winter then as well. And anyone could do a night there. And I just said to them, oh, you know, you've seen me play. Can I do a night? And they went, yeah. So they gave us a date. We had a date in, I think it was the end of February. Um, and I went to the meeting with Ben and Paul, this, Juan joined us a few weeks later, a few months later, and I, I'd that I, that winter I designed some art prints, three of them, and the one of the Melon Bomb head logo. I don't know if you've ever seen I've it. I've seen it, yeah. That that one didn't sell. I think I sold one of them, and okay. I was gutted. It was my favourite piece, so I took it along to the meeting and said, "Like, we, should we use this for our image? We, you know, I've got a night of pikes. We haven't got a name. What about this?" And it was like Melon Head, Melon Bomb, oh Melon Bomb, and that's where we got the name. So we went to Pikes. We had a party there at the end of January, uh, February. Paul couldn't play because he had a gig elsewhere off the island. So me and Ben did it, but we were still going to be a, a threesome at the point. Yeah. And we got Paulette. She came and played for us. Okay. And we, we played at Pikes. About 40 people turned up, and by about 2.30, 3 o'clock, it all got home. It was, it was a pretty quiet night. We were like, Ugh. okay, I don't think Pikes will ask us back, but they did. And when they asked us back for a following month, which, which I was really surprised about, they said, no, well, yeah, we'll give you another go. I reckon, you know, I reckon you can do it. They liked our music, which is more kind of funky and soulful then. Um, and it was Nick Clayton, who's a, a friend of ours. It was his 60th birthday. He's quite a, he's a character on the island. Um, and he just invited everybody. So everybody came to the next birthday, to the next uh, Melon Bomb. 
because of his party, really. Yeah, okay. So he brought a crowd, and the Pikes were like, oh, these guys are good. They can bring a crowd. And come again. <laughs> so they so they get us, they, they, they booked us again for the, for the April. And by that point, all the guys that did come liked it. So it was year five, roughly, at that point. Uh, this was 2015, so, so year four. Year four. So from your opening statement of no one will even talk to you, look at you, give you opportunities, yeah. you hit your three-year point, as they said. Yeah. You then started doing something you really loved, which was the art, yeah. getting to the creative side. Yeah. The piece that no one loved turned into being your actual headline image yeah. and the name for your DJ collective. About Brad, yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I've said to you before when we spoke is that I believe heavily in fate and things are meant to happen for, for a reason. And I think, as you're saying, and you're probably sitting there going, I'm rambling on a bit, but it, it all adds to the story. And as you say, if you didn't take the opportunities or put yourself in those positions and gave yourself that fighting chance, yeah. you probably would have probably potential. Was there any points where you thought, even, at, even up to like year three, I want to go home? Never. Never? The minute, we, the minute we landed here, apart from the first few weeks where it was a bit hairy, the minute I got into a groove, we both knew that we wanted to, to come here, certainly every summer to start with. Then, once we decided we were going to stay, we had very little intention, <coughs> we had very little intention about going back. The minute we got here, we were just like, no, this is the life. Sunshine's every day. We were, we were working hard, but we have the winters off. Um, no, okay. no there, we, there was never any looking back, never. So as you always said, the words light and shade, we've done a lot of the light. Yeah. Obviously, let's go on to a bit more of the uh, the shade stuff, which is the other two parts we haven't talked about really. <laughs> okay. Which is obviously the uh, removing the drinking, and obviously the uh, the vegan side, which obviously was a that's a complete stop in other words. Yeah. Let's be honest here. So, as you said, the the, the island's known for its uh, hedonism. Yeah. And it's uh, hedonistic. Is that right? Is that yeah, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Ways of life. Yeah. So. I take it for a period of time you lived the IB for life yeah. whilst doing everything else. Yeah. Is that maybe a... Yeah, we, we used to get on it, yeah. Yeah, we'd get on it with, with uh, drink and take drugs and party hard like a lot of people did. The first years especially we did, we just totally immersed ourselves and just loved it. We were, you know, a bit younger then and we could our bodies could take it more. Um, and the second year we realised that we wanted to stay in the winter so we'd need to hold back a bit because we needed to save some money in order to stay in the winter because there was no money which was great you know no money coming in which is great I think we survived on about six grand or something we just <laughs> we just honestly we did and it was gr brilliant and we just you know I remember buying cheap clothes just you know just, just eating it was just great it was, it was quite romantic as well you know just it was a different the world the basics yeah we just we just stripped, stripped back and it was lovely and, and luckily, you know, with the success came a bit more money and a bit more kind of, um, you know, extra spending. And so we could, we could start to, to do the things we wanted to do. So um, what was the kind of, was there a tipping point? Where was there a moment you kind of woke up and went, enough's enough? Right, with the, with the, 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 the veganism came first. That came Okay, about, it came first. Yeah, it did, yeah. Yeah, yeah way before. Um, we've been vegan over seven years now. Uh, <laughs> I went back at Christmas and a mate of mine, um, one of my schoolmates, because I always knock, you know, see them when to go back. Uh, Mark Bundy. We, <laughs> I got into conspiracy theories a bit back then. Not for, luckily, I'm not into all that stuff now. But just for a, for about half a year, I kind of started to believe stuff that was going out. And, and he said, "Oh, you've got to see this thing. It's called cowspiracy. 
it's about how you know the meat industry is like um, completely lying to us about the, the benefits of meat and dairy and all the rest of it. So I watched it, and he said it might turn you vegan. Now my wife is a massive; she's really into um, you know protecting the planet. She's an environmentalist, and at the end of this film, and it's, it's, it's an incredible film, and it is true by the way, it isn't a conspiracy. It's 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 it's, it's incredible. If you, if you ever want to expose yourself, so on Netflix, it, it it might be on Netflix. Um, and there was another, there was a couple of films. Another film called Fork Over, Forks Over Knives. But at the end of the film, this guy who's an ex dairy farmer, Texan guy, big sort of like brash kind of Texan, gave it all up, become vegan, still looks like a big and talks like a big brash Texan. Looks down the camera and says, "And if you're an environmentalist, you've got to give up meat and become a vegan." And my wife was like. <laughs> It's all to me. And I was like, wow. And it, it, that didn't sway me straight away. And then a couple of weeks after, we watched another film called Forks Over Knives, which is about the health benefits. Uh, and it's about how it can reverse type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. reverse it, not just prevent it, it can reverse heart disease, all the plaque that builds up in your, I'm going on about it, I'm fucking rambling. All the plaque that builds up in your arteries from eating meat and dairy and um, eggs, yeah. um, you can literally dissolve it by not eating that stuff anymore. Okay. And, and I've got, I come from a family of, of, of people with heart attacks. Okay. My dad's got angina. My mum's got high blood pressure. My family, all of them died of heart attacks on my mum's side. Wow. My dad was a doctor, so we don't know too much about his side. But my mum's side all died of heart attack. And I'm like, wow, wow, perhaps I'll give it a go. So we just tried it for a bit uh, and uh, never looked back. Deploy Recruitment Group provides fast and reliable recruitment across the UK and overseas. We source, screen and deliver quality skilled individuals to meet your business requirements. Using our extensive database, market knowledge, network and latest software, we provide access to specialised talent and address your industry's core challenges. Plan, supply and deliver safely. For more information, please visit our website deployrecruit.com. But I, I guess you're on the island that I think you were used the words earlier on hippie. Yeah. So the island has very much a uh, a place with the earth. Let's be fair on that. Yeah, but there's not the too many vegans. There's not as many vegans here as you'd think. Okay. Even now, yeah. I mean, really? it, yeah, they still like their meat. <laughs> Even the hippies. Okay. But a lot of them, not all of them, but there are there are some great vegetarian places. But yeah, there aren't that many still. But it's, it's actually better in the UK. So, okay, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, it's easier to be a vegan in the UK than it is here. I would have said, I would say from an outside in point of view of not being a vegan, I would have thought here was an easier nah. sell than... Nah, and, and the Spanish airports are a nightmare. Yeah, honestly. But the British airports are great. I mean, every single chain, every chain in the UK has a pretty decent vegan section. And they've gone for All it. All of them. Honestly, the UK lead the way in that, actually. So that Believe it or not. So that's obviously one difficulty. You've gone changed to yep. being a vegan, and yep. then obviously the harder one is the, the drinking. The booze, I'm yeah. So um, you know, I was never a big sniffer, so that kind of stopped years ago. Occasionally, I had a little line here and there, but the, but the booze, uh, yeah. I, I was just just before we moved here, the guy that come to rent a house out warned us. He said, "My dad lives in Mallorca." He said to me, "Be careful. You'll drink every day." And at that point, I was just a weekend drinker, and I was like. I won't. And he was right. Mm. Every single day you drink because in the summer, everybody's here on holiday to come and see you. And people always come to be for me. Yeah, Every yeah, week, yeah. I've got two or three people coming over to see it. And you, you know, it's great. Oh, I love yeah. it. Go and see them, have, have, have a lunch, have a big drink. Then the sun shines every day. Oh, we'll have a glass of rose. Oh, we'll have a bottle of rose. Bring the bottle. We'll have another. 
Kenyas. You, Kenyas are cheaper than, you know, the small beers are cheaper, yeah. than, cheaper than fizzy water sometimes. That's yeah. So you, you, you knock, knock those back. And before you know it, you're drinking every single day. Um, and occasionally driving, you know, because okay. the, the, the travels, uh, the, the what do you call it, the infrastructure here is not very good. The cabs are really expensive. There's a couple of buses. There's no trains or tubes. So a lot of people drink driving. And I was, I was, is it know, quite a big culture here? Yeah, I think it is. And I was guilty of it myself. And it just, it just didn't sit right. And then... Um, this was nearly four years ago. Uh, I started to have um, um, August off. I'd have a dry August, right? Because for me, it was the easiest time. Everyone says that's crazy. It's the busiest time. But it, it, was, um, it was a time of year where the, the island's full. It's packed. Everybody's here. It's too hot. It, it, gets, it, it gets on top of everybody that lives yeah. here in August. It's a weird time. We, everybody here is like, can't wait to get to September. I can't. And, and it's that weird month where it's just... Crazy. It's chaos, yeah. So, so to, 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 to not drink then, I used to find quite easy because I didn't want to go out much. I, you know, we could stay away from it all and, 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 and come September when the closing party was in, I'd be fresh and ready to go and start drinking again. Um, so I'd take my month off every year and then coming up to that particular particular um, year, four years ago, I this thing kept popping up on my Facebook page, One Year No Beer. Have you seen it? Yes, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, and it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a guy that makes money out of helping people. Coaching not, through it. Coaching people through yeah. not drinking, right? And I thought, well, I don't need a coach. I have a month off. Um, maybe I'll, I I'll do it, maybe, yeah. I, maybe I'll do it. Well, I wasn't going to do it yet at first. I was going to do three months. Um, and also, I remember saying to Mandy, I'm really looking forward to my month off. And then you, think, you listen to yourself. I'm looking forward to not drinking. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking forward to it that much, why am I doing it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, and so I, I, I got to my month. Um, and the last drink was actually at, at um, Mandy's uncle's funeral. And that was on the 2nd of August. Uh, and I drank a load of Guinness that day. And it was the last drink I had. Um, decided that I was going to take three months off. That went to six months. I was getting close to my year. And when it was um, nearly a year, in my mind, I was going back to drinking. I was, going to, I was going to start again. I was going to have a little glass of wine and see how I felt. Okay. And I bumped into a friend of mine who'd stopped around the same time as me. Uh, I mean, we compared notes a couple of times through the year. And I saw him in the street. And I said, oh, how are you doing, JP? You're going to drink again next week? And he went, no, I'm done. Wow. I was like, oh. And I don't know if it was like <laughs> Damn a, it. a competitive streak. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Stubbornness. Call it what you want. I was like, he's done. Fuck, he's done. I'm done. And so I never went back. And that was it? <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. And, that was, and, and I am done. I, I don't think I'll drink again. I'm all right. I don't need it. It doesn't, so doesn't, do it doesn't any, serve me anymore. Do you drink any non-alcoholic stuff? Yeah, I drink non-alcoholic beers occasionally. Occasionally non-alcoholic wines. You can't drink as much of them as you can beer. Um, I do struggle sometimes when I see a nice wine on the table or a decent tequila, or because I was a foodie and I'm a mm. you know and I love good food and love good and drink. matching it all up. Yeah, matching it all up. I used to love all that stuff. Um, so um, my, the way I do it is if there's a really nice wine, because I'm not an alcoholic, I'll, I'll sip it I'll, like on my tongue, not even a sip, less than a sip, okay. and I'll just taste it and I go, that's really nice, and then put it back, and that's all I need. That's pretty. That's, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. It is. It is. But I think an alcoholic couldn't do that. I think. I don't know. Again, there's different levels, I suppose. But I would imagine that they wouldn't be encouraged by AA. No, no. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I think from having conversations with other people is that <coughs> obviously in recruitment, as you're fully aware, the culture is very uh, work hard, play hard. And I guess in entertainment, the, taking out clients, entertainment, massive part of the job. Yeah, yeah. And, and if I, you don't drink, I, I imagine that would be really tough. Yeah, I, I think I, I do know a few people now who obviously are removing it from their worlds. I think not by choice, but by probably the, the end of the addiction or yeah. has got help. And I think 
as someone had described to me uh, on another uh, conversation, which was the problem with addiction in all levels is that you hit a high and you're always then trying to match it or beat it. Yeah. And the problem with that then is, uh, as someone said, it's, it's a circle. It's the... It's the uh, it's insanity, basically. You keep doing the same thing, yeah. and it keeps kicking back, yeah. and keeps happening. Yeah. So for you to be in... Like an abusive relationship, isn't it? Right. So sitting in the world's biggest party island, yeah. and not drinking, yeah. must be quite strange to... It has its challenges, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And strange, and obviously, but how did your peers take it at the time? Because you get invited out, and the first few periods, was that difficult, or mm. did they accept it, and just got on with it? Yeah. Um, I, I used to not trust people that didn't drink. Do you know what I mean? I used to have this like weird thing where like if I was out with everybody and one of them weren't drinking, you'd think, not not trust them, but you wouldn't feel as, that's the wrong word. No, no, you're not the first person to say it. I've you know, heard that before. I think, that, I think that's too strong a term. Not want to engage in their company because they're not on the same buzz as you. Do you know what I mean? Cause yeah, you, I do. Because you only get drunk you're on the same buzz. And weirdly, I, have, I haven't felt that too much from other people. I, I would find it struggle. I, I'd find a struggle when I used to drink with someone in the group that wasn't drinking. But oddly, I don't. I haven't felt that as much from them as I. Does that make sense? The other it way does. around. Yeah, yeah. I didn't it does. see it as much the other way around. And luckily, I've got really, really good friends and really good people around me that have been really, really supportive. Actually, um, oh, it could be the reason that because you're not drinking, you turn into the person who can drive everywhere. That too, <laughs> yeah, exactly that. I'm, I get people to take advantage of that, um, but no, it's yeah. I, I you know, I, I don't stay as late at parties. I go home earlier. Um, I don't have hangovers though. My days are so much longer the next day, and my weeks are longer because my friends will be like feeling shit for a couple of days. Can't do much. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm ready to ready for action. So from a personal point of view, I think I've mentioned it before. I've, I've cut down to 36 days a year only of drinking. Yeah. Because I, I, I didn't feel I was ready to completely stop. Because I, I still enjoy going out for a drink with my friends once in a while. You're not drinking every day, mate, and that's what I was doing. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think from being in, in the industry of recruitment, as you say, it's part of the culture mm. and it's expected of you. Yeah. Um, people have known me for a very long time, probably like yourself in your industry and obviously the people we know as well. And as you said, it, it's an interesting, you said it, it's the trust thing. People don't trust people don't drink, but then so people also then begin to feel isolated if they're not drinking, yeah. and they feel like they have to just to be part of the group. Yeah. And personally, I know that feeling. And personally, I don't know if you found it yourself. I quit drinking for six months solid, and I don't know if you found it yourself. It wasn't so much the stopping the drinking; it was actually then dealing with yourself, and actually then dealing with your own thoughts, mm. and actually be accepting that what's in here will come out, and once you can understand what's there deal with it you can then be in those social environments a lot more comfortable yeah. and be yourself again yeah that that took a while you're right um I, I always remember getting to whatever party i was at or going somewhere and saying the first thing right i need that drink just to loosen me up then i'll be all right you know just walking you know it's like walking to the, a, a busy environment even if even if you're you've got any you know you're quite a, a, an out uh, what do you mm. call it uh, extrovert, extrovert yeah which i always consider myself to be an extrovert actually and i'm, I'm kind of thinking that maybe I'm not anymore. But that could be because, and I, I think the drink kind of, uh, what do you call it, amplified that feeling in you to think that you are. And so you'd, you'd want that drink to sort of calm down and uh, settle your nerves and get into the groove of it. And then you're all right, like, where's that drink? Right, 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 I've had that. 
I can, I can get on with it now. I don't have that anymore. So now when I go into those environments, I just, I, sometimes it takes me a while to settle. It does. Okay. Um, but honestly, it, when I weigh it up, feeling a little bit uncomfortable for a bit or going home a bit early doesn't compare to, to the benefits of not drinking. 100%. So look, the, um, as a CEO of LinkedIn, uh, not LinkedIn, a Bullhorn, which is a recruitment CRM, he did a presentation on that a little while ago and he, he classed himself as an introverted extrovert. Yeah, that's probably what I think as for myself, actually. But I'd never heard of that term before. Yeah. And then uh, I started Googling it going, Okay, I can, I can kind of appreciate that. Whereas, as you say, there you're going to a room first of all, you're slightly apprehensive until yeah. you settle, and then yeah. once you're into the groove, yeah. you're happy to do and talk to whoever it is yeah. around you. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I think I, I kind of probably sounds like that sort of style there, what you're saying there. So, so you're now completely <laughs> down to the cleanest part as anything you can do in this island as such, and you've got this extraordinary opportunity with two mates in Melonbomb. Your yeah, friends, right? Which turned into three, yeah, quite, so there's four of us now. But Sorry, there's four of you now? Yeah. And the world's your oyster, right? Yeah. Just very quickly, I always, not forget to mention one, but because the story starts with the three of us, yeah. and there's clearly four of us, and one's been there from right at the beginning, he came in a couple of months later, we got a gig at, we got a gig at Space, and I just produced a little record with him, we put our vinyl out together, um, and he filled in, because Paul or Ben couldn't make it and we were like oh he's good let's get him in and that was like about two months two or three months after Melbourne started but he wasn't there at the very beginning part but he did join a couple of months later and he's been there from the beginning and actually Juan has been our musical director and he's really pushed us where, we, where, where we've gone and, and what's his uh, name we are a lot of Juan Corbett Corby's his DJ name but the funny thing is you just had a whole description of him and yeah. didn't mention his name once oh sorry Juan <laughs> I said Juan didn't I <laughs> sorry I did. Oh, I missed I did. it. Yeah, you know, you missed it. I missed it. Was his name? Juan Corby. Juan. You know, I think I heard you say one. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, right. The one extra member. Yeah, not... yeah. <laughs> That's my hearing. So, okay. So, he's definitely the fourth member. Yeah, he's the fourth member and he's been there since more or less at the beginning, but not the, like the first couple of months where the story starts. Yeah. Okay. So, World's Your Oyster. You're now getting bookings coming all over the place. Yeah. What is your kind of most... So, Glitterbox is at the present probably one of your main gigs yep. alongside Pikes. Yep. And then, do you mainly work collectively as a, as a, as a, as a group, or are you doing your own things as well? So, um, yeah, we, we play Melon Bomb. Uh, the, the, it started as an event. It was never going to be a DJ collective that went out and DJed. We just wanted to put parties on for our mates and play the music we liked and we thought was good. So that, that's how we started. And then we, I think by the end of that year, I think someone tried to, we, we got booked to play on the slopes in, um, uh, over in, uh, Austria? Verbier. Verbier. And that, I think that was probably one of the first times we went out as a group, actually. And three of us went over uh, and we took our missus with us and we, we played, that, played that. And then from there we started getting bookings. And because there's four of us, we would mostly go out in twos. And then we got booked to play Glitterbox. And then Simon Dunmore had a meeting with me and Paul. I asked us what we were about, and then we got a phone call a couple of days later to um, to tell us we, he wanted us on his agency. Wow! Which is Colluded, which we're still on now. So it's, it's Defect's own agency is called Colluded. So we're we're on their agency, and yeah, and they 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 book us. They we started playing a few times at Defected in London. We played at Printworks. Um, you know, we played for Glitterbox all over the place. Barley, we, we played for them. We, uh, Juan was over in um, uh, Brazil uh, while I, while I was playing. In, 
not well, me and Paul were playing in London at print work, so yeah, we're just we're all over the place. So it's going all over the place. Yeah. And then the last. And so that's, so that's Miller Bombers. You so you asked me about the solo stuff, and then solo. Yeah, I've started to get a few. I've started to push my solo career a bit. Um, is that a change of uh, directional music, or is it separate to what Melon Bomb play? It, it's slightly different. I like to play when I play on my own. I play a little bit more Afro-y. I, we put Afro elements into Melon Bomb, but I tend to play longer sections of Afro stuff and that kind of deeper stuff. But my productions are a bit, a bit of a mixture, really, kind of a bit deepy, jazzy, um, and hip hop, as you know. Um, and a bit of garage house. And a bit of garage, yeah, yeah. So. What was your musical influences then growing up? Obviously, we, we, you mentioned about some of the records you brought over here, but was that where it started out, or was it saying your parents used to listen to that influenced you in, in your kind of musical tastes? When um, my, my mum and dad used to listen to all kinds of stuff, like Joe Cocker and you know, my dad liked Led Zeppelin or The Who, the Small Faces. And my mum liked a bit of um, Lovers Rock Reggae, but growing up in, in, in London, you, the music was we, you know, we were very much influenced by by black black music, mm -hmm. um, you know whether it be soul, reggae, and, and then hip hop hit in the in the early eighties, um, and I just that was just my life. I just that was you know that was that was me. That was that was the music I first properly. Well, before that it was kind of two tone and scar, but I was a bit young to go out and be in that world. But by the time I was old enough to be in that world, it was hip hop and soul. And, and funk and stuff like that and, and reggae parties but then but hip-hop specifically just totally like just drew me and fooled you and yeah, kept you there massively and you know we used to break dance and body pop and do graffiti and stuff like that skateboard uh not really a baller no my brother was a bit of a baller but not me okay no, no. so you've just released a couple of new tracks yeah i had, a, I had my first solo release and i put it out under the name chapter which is my artist name uh on nervous so it was a hip-hop track with um, featuring a girl called Clever Thoughts from the States. So for the people who don't know, Nervous is one of the most iconic uh, record labels worldwide, New York based, and has one of the most fantastic uh, Logo, yeah. pictures, logos that's been used many times over the years. And for me, it's one of my favorite labels above anything else, Nervous. So I, I love everything from the 90s onwards, very much hip hop, the house the underground houses you were talking about earlier on, and obviously that's all merged into a bit of garage house as well. So a lot of my influence is probably in, in line with yours. Yeah, right. So when I saw you, obviously, uh, had released something on Nervous, I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And did you feel the same way? Yeah. <laughs> Massively. I was, I was blown away, actually. So how'd that come <clears throat> about? So it's, it's, it's not like, hello, I'm, uh, we're Nervous Records, we've, we know Scott Gray, how would you like to put something out? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm not going to lie, um, using the, the Melon Bomb name opens doors. Yeah. So when I sent it a demo out, and I sent it out as a punter, and I didn't have any connections. I went to their, you know, demo section and found out who the tutor email, <clears throat> and just said, "I'm from Melon Bomb. My name's Scott." And they, you know, I, I'm sure that must have picked up some ears because not everybody's heard of Melon Bomb, but most of the industry and our thing by now, luckily, they, they know who we are. Okay. Um, because of who we've played with and all this. Yeah, but you, you, you're looking to release a more hip hop track. Yes, Not sorry, house yeah. of what you've been known for. Yeah, well, yeah, but so, okay, so when I, I've been working with a friend of mine who's a, who's a really talented producer, and he um, helped me helped me make these two tracks. I actually made three. I made this deep kind of uh, um, piano-y track, Will Trade for Art. Yeah. Now, that came about, Will Trade for Art, is because the guy that played the piano on it, Alex O'Brien, plays for the Ibiza House Orchestra, which they're called the White Island Orchestra. Right. He's a keyboardist. 
I usually used to bung him 50 euros to, to, to play some keyboards for me. Yeah. And this time we said, oh, can I have one of your art prints? I went, yeah, okay, let's do that. So he plays some piano. I gave him an art print, called the track Real Trade for Art. Um, that's, a, that's a house track with some piano on it. Um, and I also wanted to make a hip hop track and I wanted to make a garage track. And, I, and in my mind, I could put them all out together, like as a weird kind of, not a lot of EP. Um, but, and, and then sent it out to a few companies. Um, worked with the rapper, Clever Thoughts from the States. I found her on um, uh, Airgig, a site where you can find um, okay. art artists and people to She's work with. She's got a cool with. voice, very She's cool amazing. voice. She sounds a bit like Missy Elliott, doesn't she? Mm. She's incredible. In fact, I'm doing some other stuff with her now. Um, and where was I going with this? So sent the three tracks out as a package to about three or four labels. And literally that night, Nervous came back to me and said, oh, we like the house one and we like the um, rap. If you want to put those out of us, that's great, but we're not going to use the garage one. What'd you think about that? And I kind of sat on it actually, because it was just before Christmas. And, then, and I was going to sign them with another label. I'm not going to mention them, but they were really kind. They were going to take it on. But over Christmas, I'm thinking, but it's nervous. It's, it's nervous, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're into hip hop, if you're, in, if you're into hip hop, it's, it's Tommy Boy or Def Jam, right? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter that this stuff isn't perhaps what it was. Correct. And you could say that maybe that nervous that this stuff isn't maybe as iconic as it was back then, but it's still nervous, you know? And, and a friend of mine said, it's nervous. But like you say, using the name Menembom holds weight. Yeah. Using the name Nervous Records. Yeah, so I was stupid not to do it, and I'm really pleased I did. So that, that came out last month. Um, and then at the same time, so because I had that odd garage track, if I wanted to get that signed, because you really these days people want two or three records at a time to put as EPs. No one's putting out singles really. The smaller labels don't anyway. Mm. They like to even nervous isn't small, small, but it still has that. It's not not a major, major, you know. Sure. So the small kind of core record labels, they always want, a, excuse me, at least two tracks usually. So I had this one garage track on its own. So I needed to make another garage track to go with it, uh, which was so nice. Yeah. And I sent it out, and then Mark Cottrell kindly picked up on that one. Again, I just did it for usual channels. I didn't, didn't use any contacts yeah, to get to him. Yeah, yeah. Just mailed it to him. I think maybe found him on Bank, Bandcamp, but did say, I'm Scott from Melbourne. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. So that comes out tomorrow. So wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's on Plastic People Records. Plastic People Records, yeah. And Mark Cottrell's a, a legend yeah. in the house garage scene. But yeah. that's when you said to me you're releasing a garage track, I was like, okay. Didn't put two and two together on that one. And also on the hip hop one, I was like, wasn't expecting that. Well, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with you a bit as well. I was never into UK Garage, not because I didn't like it. It just, I just went down this path. I went down more of a house path. Um, and you, you know, and I love drum and bass, but I don't know much about it. I didn't go down a drum and bass path. I went down a house path and I kind of narrowed myself with that. But I always like that kind of drum and bass sound, like that kind of garagey mm. sound. But you know what it's like? It, it went off in so many different directions, didn't it? it? Yeah. And, we, and I, went, I went one way. And, and, and of late, what I love about the scene at the moment is it's kind of gone back to where it was when it first started in that you could hear, you know, Hard house, garage house, solvable house, two-step drum and bass. You can hear maybe not quite as extreme as that, but you can hear a lot of that in one. In you know, people are kind of mixing the genres a little bit more. Maybe yeah. not as extreme as that, but not far off. And no. you can hear a bit of drum and bass. You can hear a little bit of garage in the sound. And the kids who are making the most incredible music at the moment now are emulating that sound from the early, from the late '90s, early 2000s, and are coming out with some amazing music. Well, there's a lot of breaks coming into stuff as well. A lot of breaks coming. These, these guys I was talking to you about earlier, before we did this interview, these, these Dutch uh, guys called Another, A-N-O-T-R. I mean, they, they, 
they're pl- they they've, they've got melon, you know, they're, they're like melon bomb at their heart without realising it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're a lot bigger than we are as well. They're massive now, um, but they they are doing that and they're young. They're young kids and they're playing this incredible stuff. And it's just all over. So from a from a musical point of view, what's the future then for Scott Graham Melon Bomb? What is there is there a plan to go bigger as a collective or is it very much a beef centric and whatever comes with it? Yeah, we plan to um, take over the world. Excellent. Yeah, stage by stage, we're going to buy a hotel. Cool. Going to get start our own airline. Nice. And, uh, and uh, um, energy drink company. In the next twelve months. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, yeah, I just it, I listen. I keep on doing what we're doing. For us, it's all about quality control of music. That's the most important thing, and it seems to be serving us. We're, we're growing really, really slowly year on year, but it's at a good, steady pace. You know, we feel like we, we, we you know. We're not we're not taking three steps forward or we're not jumping too quickly. We're taking that we're eight years now, so in two years' time maybe we'll be an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So yeah. so for someone who's never been to a Melon Bomb night yeah. and obviously seeing yourselves DJ as a collective, we've talked about a lot of your influences, the music you listen to, etc. And we've obviously mentioned about house. Is it a combination of all those pieces we spoke about, or is there a social uh, a sound that comes out of Melon Bomb? Yeah, there is a sound. It, we don't play hip hop. We, 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 it is house. We used to we used to say that we were kind of the disco style of house. We drop that now because we're not. You'll hear a couple of disco tracks, but only a couple these days in us in each of our sets. We just we, when we when we're asked now, we just say we play house music. Okay. Yeah. Just good house music. Yeah. But but and, and it's. New music that's got a, a nostalgic feel. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has that, that 90s, because obviously I, I, we always look at, I always look at the 90s as being, personal view, the best time for music. Yeah. I'm sure every generation yeah. says the same thing. Yeah, no, 90s is incredible. But obviously from the relative of Ibiza, the, the background, yeah. and let's be honest, the people still on the billboards today, yeah. most of them are from the, the 90s. Yeah. A yeah, good, yeah. good chunk of them. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of old DJs are really doing well again now, which is great to see. You know, um, I'm 53 and I'm, I feel like I'm at the beginning of my career, really. And I really love that <coughs> statement. Yeah. That's a really cool statement to say. Yeah. Because we haven't asked about your age yet. We haven't yeah. spoken about that. Right. So at 53, yeah. you're the forefront face of entertaining the 20 pluses. Uh, yeah, well, our crowds are 20 plus to 50 plus, to 60 plus, I guess, really. Literally, you go to a Melbourne party, all generations are there. But it, but it's not just kids that are reluctantly coming with their parents. <laughs> they're into the music, they're into the scene. They, they, they're, they're, they're loving what we loved all those years back, and it's so great to see. It's cool, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And, and I, I guess, like, I don't, I don't feel old as a DJ because there's plenty of DJs way ahead of me yeah. in their 60s now, yeah. still smashing it, you know what I mean? Still getting booked, still getting still everything getting there. Still getting big, big bookings. 100%. And doing well, yeah. And it's good to see that, you know, it doesn't... It's like rock music. It doesn't have an age. No. Do you know what I mean? Good, good music, it's good music, isn't it? You know, like, you know. It transcends the generations. Yeah. yeah. So 13 years on the island. <clears throat> yeah. What, of yourself personally, have you seen... How's it changed for you? Or what have you seen differently? Or have you picked up going, it wasn't quite like that? Yeah, I, I, I really try to refrain from those the good old days, it's not as good as it was type of conversations because I believe in, I believe, I believe in progressing and looking forward and moving and, and, and Melbourne certainly do that. So 
I try not to do that. I mean, you can't help yourself sometimes because, you know, those Sundays at Space were magical. You know, you've been to a manual mm. mission on a Monday night, going to the Space in a, on a Tuesday morning. That doesn't exist anymore. But it doesn't mean there aren't great things anymore. No, not at all. When you, like my nephews are, uh, are in their early 20s now, mid-20s, and they come and they're blown away by it. You know, they get here and they just, they, to them it's as fresh as it was to us. You know, they've, they've never seen anything like it. To their own generation. Yeah, it's still mind-blowing to them, the, you know, the clubs, the production, the this, the that, the, everything. So, so I think the magic is still there. Um, it's just, obviously, the longer you've been here, you know, your magic was a long time ago. And, you know, I don't club as much as I would, I would have yeah. done, you know. I work in the industry, I don't drink anyway, so. But an interesting conversation point, so you probably <sighs> just talking there, the production quality of events, that has changed. Yeah. You look at Ashwire, yeah. you know, the huge scales of the parties, of what is and the experiences people get now from those nights. Yeah. That wasn't there when you first got to the island. No, I mean, you, I mean, you, 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 you say that, and I know what you mean. They, like, you go into Pasha, and, you, and like, that was the first part, that was the first club I went to when I came here, and it just, I remember walking into that main room, and it just, it was like an explosion of things hanging from the ceiling, yeah, and yeah, yeah. beautiful dancers that were, whether you could work out whether they were men or women, um, you know, drag acts, and just airy, just all going off, and it was just, what is this? You know, that was production then. Now it's a lot more kind of, I guess, electronic and screens and stuff, and, you know, uh, booms and whistles and that kind of, which we didn't have that then, but we did have production, which is different. Okay. Which is different, whereas now it's more technologically advanced when it comes to production, I suppose, is the way to look at it. And scale. And uh, but, you know, yeah, I mean, space didn't have much, did it? Because it was all in the daytime. A lot yeah, of yeah, yeah, Inside was kind of dark and just lights, I suppose. Yeah, you know. But high, you go inside, yeah, I suppose. I mean, yeah. But does it blend? Because you've been... Ashwa is different. Ashwa is different, I suppose. That's more like a rock concert, isn't it? It is like, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what I was kind of getting to. Is yeah, yeah. Are people turning up now for it to feel like a concert rather than sometimes... A pure club event. Yeah, Are they expecting bigger. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so, probably. But at the same time, Pikes, you know, oh, yeah. a tiny little place, um, low ceiling, small little venue, few hundred in there, going off. When we play at yeah. high, we play in all three rooms. We're fortunate, but when we're playing in Wild Corn, which is the toilets, which is that little, the third room, honestly, it's tiny. And we have people that go in there and don't leave there. They go in there all night, just stay in there all night and come out. And that's a tiny little, that's not big production, that's just proper having it. 100%. <laughs> and it's all ages. Yeah, so so yeah. there's room for both still. But I think it's, but flipping the other way, I think the, the room you just mentioned there at High is probably the probably most, most videoed. Yeah. And obviously social media um, club event. I've seen, you see every, every week, anyone who's played there, it's always coming on people's feeds. Yeah. So let's have a look at it in other ways. The Instagram world, the Facebook, the social media, has that changed your world from Melon Bomb's point of view from the earlier days to now? Or do you find it's more the reputation still of the events that's getting the crowds through the door? Yeah, a bit of both. We, we, we were lucky that when we started Melon Bomb, social media was well underway. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And to this day, our only promotion is just Facebook and Instagram. We do an event, that's where it goes. And it sells. And it sells, and people come. Um, we're very fortunate. We did start in the winter on the island. Remember I told you, you make all your best contacts? Mm. I believe it's the same with Melbourne. We started in the winter doing winter parties. That by the time we got to the summer, the people that, we're at, that started to follow us 
would bring their friends that come over on holiday and that kind of grew us that yeah, way. Okay. So they would go over and talk about us and then they'd bring their friends and that's kind of how we, that's how we grew as a brand on the island. Um, but <clears throat> we were lucky enough that we did have social media all the way. There's videos, footage from some of our early parties. Like there's one uh, of us at Jockey Club when we used to do that before we moved to Tanit because we do daytime parties at Tanit as well. Uh, and there's still some videos that give me goosebumps when I see them. It's the whole okay. place is jumping and that was like the first year of doing Melbourne, I think. But I quite like the, what you said though is that <coughs> excuse me. the Schumann element has still been an in, a massive impact on the longevity of Melbourne and the ability to keep growing year on year because you've got to have your core yeah. and everything else around it will happen naturally, right? And the more people obviously enjoy what you do and the more they see your name about, they just naturally transcend to the events you do because yeah. they know Bomb event is going to be just wicked, right? Yeah. And that's, is that, I guess that's the feeling you want for people to have. Yeah, we, we, we just, as I said, it's about keeping an eye on the music, make sure the music's good. And the other thing we do is we play uplifting music. And right. We play music that gets the crowd going. We have it. Do you know what I mean? It's a, we, we, it's it's a, a happy place. It's a happy place. I'll tell you what it is. It's space on a Sunday. It's that vibe. And we've always, we've always stuck to that vibe. That's a really nice way of describing it. Yeah. Yeah, and we've often spoken about that actually. So that's yeah, that's taken from the proper old school. That style. Do you remember you go in there? It was just hands in the air, smiley, happy people, and, and not that, on, without cheese. You could do that with good music. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But that is a different set of culture, as you say, from the island. Because at certain points, it got very, very heavy. Yeah, yeah very. Everyone was wearing black, yeah, tight clothes. I could never fit that. <laughs> I think that's why I was never into that scene. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> And I think it just got to a point. I, I'll be honest. Got I think too I, serious. Yeah, I think I, I, from someone who, who doesn't, I love all music. It wasn't my scene. I think that put me off for a while to come yeah. to Ibiza. And the thing is, you can still have some of that music, but just not all night long. Mm. You know, we'd go in and out of that. We'll dip into some of that, but dip out again. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, you know, Take them through the journey. Yeah, take them through a journey, a musical journey as well, yeah. And final thing to discuss, you're a grandfather. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. It's a, but it's a fantastic thing, Mate, right? It's, a, it's the, one of the things I'm one of the most proudest of. Yeah. How's the grand? She is three, and I'm going to see her in two days, and I can't wait. Very cool, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going over tomorrow, and I'll see her on Saturday. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's just, it's um, when I had Luke, I was really young. I was twenty, um, and I made my mum and dad young grandparents, for which at the time they weren't happy. <laughs> until Luke was born and then they loved it they embraced it but I was still like 10 years ahead of all of my mates you know they I, I, you know, I was 20 when he was born my mates had their kids in their 30s yeah um, but by the time he when he announced to me that he was having a baby uh, he was like nearly 30 which is a, which is a better age yeah <clears throat> and I was like what you know and because I'd had him young I was still fairly young so I was like I was I wasn't 50 then so I was like, you're going to make me a granddad before I'm 50? Oh, I wasn't happy about it. And I remember my mum ringing me up, pissing herself, laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be a granddad. You know how it feels. And I was, and I, was <laughs> I wasn't happy. But again, the minute she was born, I'm telling you, it's, it's, when you have grandchildren, it's a weird thing. It's, uh, they, they, you don't think you've got enough love in your heart for any more people in your family, right? You know, you love your kids, you love your mum and dad, you love your sisters and cousins, whatever it is, brothers. Is. And I didn't think that there was any more space. And along comes this other one and parks herself right in the middle of your heart and just sits there and you just, you just, ah, oh, it's weird, it's deep. And melted you. Melt, melt, honestly. 
she's got me wrapped around, around her little finger. And my dad, who's a great granddad, they're best mates because like they're they're in England still, so they they get to see her like once a week, which I, you know, I do I do sometimes wish I could see her more, but I do FaceTime her kind of every other day, and I see her usually once every two months, and they come here and we go over there. But my dad is a, they're, they're best mates, my dad and my granddaughter, which is amazing. What a nice way to end. <laughs> yeah. Podcast today. Yeah. So Scott, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate Mate, it. Thanks for dragging all that out of me. I didn't didn't know didn't know where that came from. It just flooded out. Sorry. <laughs> this is what it's for. The, you know, we, we want people to understand and get to know the people behind yeah. the different things that people enjoy and go to, and probably don't have the opportunity to actually know who Scott Gray is, mm. and hopefully understand a bit more about yourself and Melon Bomb. So if people want to find Melon Bomb, understand where you're playing. And when Melon Bomb events are, how'd they find you? Um, if you just Google Melon Bomb Music or Melon Bomb Ibiza, you'll find our Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. We're on the Defected YouTube channel. You'll find videos of us, information about where we're playing, mostly on the Facebook and Instagram pages, actually. Um, yeah, we're doing plenty of stuff in the UK this year as well. So, yeah, just, just look out for and us. And from a production point of view, you're known as Chapter? So, my, my solo productions, I've got... Three things I'm involved with. Just make it more. Four awkward. things actually. <laughs> Chapters my own solo stuff. I'm working on a project with a guy called um, uh, Mick Wilson, who's the um, a, a, a producer in his own right, and is also the uh, editor of DJ Magazine in okay. Ibiza, um, called Kuara, which is an old BMX brand. They've been the big yeah, Kuara okay. bike, and that's real kind of deep, sort of weird, kind of uh, trippy kind of music. Um, I've got a project that I'm doing with these Italian guys called Capitolo 3, which we've just done a track with Roetta, and that's coming out in September. And, you know, Roetta from the Happy Mondays. Yeah, yeah. So she's done some vocals for us. And then I've got, and then Melon Bomb, we've got some music coming out in September as well. Hard Trance, right? Hard Trance, <laughs> Gabba, <laughs> Confusion. Yeah, with German country, Nosebleed. Country and Western vocals. So yeah, look Very nice. That, I, look, I look forward to that one coming out. <laughs> so that's where we can find Scott Gray. So... This has been Inside Success with Scott Gray. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. Really enjoyed that. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inside Success. I hope you enjoyed what was said today and found something quite inspirational, that there's never too late to start again and do something you're passionate about. If you want to find out more about Scott Gray, you can find him on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud and MixCloud as DJ Scott Gray. Nice and easy to find. And if you are lucky enough to find yourself in Ibiza and Scott Gray or Melon Bomber playing, make sure you find them as you have a great time. Just one last note. If you do enjoy this podcast, please like, share, and put a cheeky review so others know where to find it. Thank you very much again for listening. Catch you next time.